Fred and I had this vision, I guess, this, this idea that we would travel to Japan um, probably three months ago, mm-hmm. something like that. And, and it was kind of exciting to see it come to fruition and have us go. And we knew zero Christian when we, let, when we went to Japan. So we didn't know anyone. Everyone we met, we contacted through emails. And so you'll hear more about the people we met. But this is a sign that, Fred, you took a picture of mm-hmm. when you got to the airport. And as you can see, there's a lot of languages. And that's because Japan is a very international country. You might not think that, but a lot of people travel to Japan, and especially Tokyo, um, from all over the world. And so you'll see more of why that's important. Okay, so we spent about two to two and a half weeks. Um, We arrived at different times, which is also kind of fascinating. But we went to Tokyo at first, uh, right here. And then we traveled to, we spent there about eight days, and then we traveled to Kanazawa, which is like a countryside, and so you, we went from a city of 10 million people, um, 30 million if you're counting the whole district of Tokyo, um, to a small town in Kanazawa, and it's just like farmland and mountains, and then we traveled to Osaka, um, and then Yanai, which is kind of around here, and this is a beautiful bridge that we saw over there, and then to um, Kumamoto, where it's got um, these famous castles, but we weren't really sightseeing. We, I, we, I just wanted to show you guys pictures that we took. Um, so then the purpose of the trip was to meet with churches and missionaries in Japan to get connected with them, hear about the ministry that they're doing, hear about the challenges and the encouragements that they have um, in Japan. And especially for Fred, um, well, I'll let him talk more about it, but he wants to do an internship over the summer and hopefully be sent out to be a long-term missionary in Japan in the future. Um, the overview of the talk is that we're going to talk about the culture, the people, the need, and the church, and the charge. So that's kind of what you can expect from our talk. Um, the culture is quite interesting because, like I said, there's 10 million people in Tokyo alone and 30 million if you count the whole district, yet it's very silent. And what I mean by that is people don't really talk to one another. Um, they take trains and usually it's just packed with people. But people don't talk. They're always looking at their phone, they're either listening to podcasts or music, and people are not really living with others. Yet it is a very community-based country, and so that was very fascinating. Um, it's also very silent because cars don't, they, or cars do honk, but people don't honk their horns. I think in our two weeks we, har- we heard one car honk. And so it's a very silent country. It's, and that's because of this whole idea of honor and shame. Uh, um, it's not honoring, it's, and it's shameful to disrupt the community's flow or community's atmosphere. And so making noise and talking on the train to disrupt others is not honoring, and it's shameful. Um, same with you see people wearing masks. It's if, especially if you're sick, you want to cover your mouth so that you don't you know, spread your sickness. Because if you were to do that, that would be very shameful. Fred, anything to add on that? Mm-hmm. Okay. It's also very safe. I mean, we see kids who are probably five, six, just walking around by themselves at any time. I mean, 10 p.m., 9 p.m., and I'm sure a lot of us, our parents took us to school and picked us up at school 
but yet these kids who are barely you know, five or six are just walking around on their own. Um, and it's also very orderly that people just stay in line, they wait until they're called to do something. It's not like chaos. Um, it's very orderly. It's, it's, it's like where America wants to be, but we can't really do it because we're too selfish. Um, <laughs> so it's very orderly. It's all about community. There's really no this mindset of individualism. It's all about what is best for the group. And it's technolo technologically advanced, and people are just, yeah, I mean, it's fascinating. Everything's so convenient. If you want to buy something, it, there's a store, you know, 100 yards from your house or something. And it's just, you can get access to a lot of things. Um, so it's an advanced country. So it's not your typical, you know, third world country missions. It is a very much of a first, um, yeah, first country, first world country. Um, some of the interesting things that I saw that I thought was really fascinating, just highlighting. Here's a toilet that can pay your bank bill, bills. No, I'm just kidding. It's, it's, a, it's a toilet with a lot of buttons. And if, after you flush the toilet, there's a sink where you can wash your hands. Um, so the bathroom can be as big as like that. Um, very efficient and convenient. They decorate their Christmas trees with weird prayers. They don't really have ornaments. They had these weird prayers. Um, which we'll, Fred will explain a little bit later. And they have vending machines everywhere. Everywhere. Like, yeah. One vending machine for every 26 people. Yep. So there's a helpful fact. So I'll hand it over to you. Yeah, so Japan has um, a dual religion, really, of Shintoism and Buddhism. Now, the interesting thing is those religions are very, very different than obviously Christianity and what we are used to. Um, because talking with different Japanese people, Shintoism and Buddhism really aren't based on, at least in Japan and how they're practiced, on a set of principles, right? Like in Christianity, we, you know, we read the Bible, we study what God has to say, and these different beliefs that we have about who God is, who man is, what the world is, et cetera, et cetera, dictate how we live. But in Shintoism and Buddhism, it's really just about good luck. Like for most Japanese, they go to the Shinto shrine on New Year's and they give some money to the shrine. And based on whatever shrine it is, each shrine has its own specific deity, a very polytheistic um, religion, you get good luck in something. So for example, if you go to the relationship shrine or with a god that's related to relationships, you, know, you might have better luck getting a girlfriend. Or if you go to a financial um, God, you might make more money in your job this semester, or a school God, then you do better on your tests. So basically, you just go to these shrines when you feel like you need good luck. So you can see there's prayers here. Um, one, one of them was actually in Korean, so um, James translated <laughs> for us. We asked our Japanese mm -hmm. friends here what these prayers are about. Mm -hmm. Most of them are about money, work, mm -hmm. and school, yeah. and relationship. It's mm -hmm. kind of the four pillars yep. of, yes. <laughs> well, <laughs> so, yeah, probably more than he should have. <laughs> yeah, so it's interesting because the religion is just based on this idea of like good luck, and like they never actually teach things about the religion. So if you talk to most Japanese about what Buddhism and what Shintoism is, they will tell you, I honestly have no idea. 
In fact, the one friend that I found among Japanese, um, my Japanese friends that was able to tell me anything about Buddhism and Shintoism went to a Buddhist kindergarten and everything he told me, he learned in a Buddhist kindergarten because they never have anything like a sermon or teaching or any of that. So for Japanese, they're really basically non-religious. They attend these religious events because they're Japanese, because that's just what you do as Japanese on New Year's. You go to the shrine to get good luck. They buy little charms for good luck. None of it is really based on any concept of belief, any idea of the existence of whether these gods are even real or not. They don't even care. A lot of them say, yeah, I don't think there's anything at the shrine. I just do it for good luck. So for them, the concept of religion, the concept of belief, the concept of morality coming from something that you believe is completely foreign to them. So when a Christian comes and starts talking about God and sin and creation and all these concepts, it's completely foreign to them. Because for them, religion has no bearing on anything to do in their life other than a little bit of good luck. And actually, oftentimes, the religion they do know, they associate as cultural, as being Japanese. One of my Japanese friends was telling me a little bit about Shintoism, and he said, it was just explained to me by my parents as this is Japanese. This is what Japanese do. This is what Japanese are. It's not really this like external religion kind of thing. It's just, we go and we have good luck. So you can see here's the outside of a shrine. Um, and they have these you know, fairly, fairly frequently. You can see them all over Japan. Um, that's just a little gateway that you can walk in. And when you walk in, they, um, they have a little thing that you can wash. So you just wash your hands very ritualist, in a very special ritualistic way. Then you just walk up to the shrine. There's a little place where you can throw coins in. And they believe if you hear the clink, or if the god hears the clink, that means that you'll get good luck. So you throw in coins until you hear a good clink. Then you walk up. And we watched a number of people do this. And they just come up to the shrine. They just bow. Sorry. And they hold it for five or ten seconds, and then they leave. And that's the only time they'll ever pray. And they only do that, most of them, maybe a couple times a year. Most of them only on New Year's. So again, their religious life is almost non-existent. And then, again, going back to the people, this is what the Japanese do. That's Mm -hmm. what they're taught. That's what they believe. And so to kind of veer off from that, Mm -hmm. it would bring shame to the group. You don't want to be the one who's separated from the group. And so that's a very difficult challenge that a lot of missionaries face ministering to the Japanese because Christians are called to be separated from the world. Um, so. And then obviously Buddhism as well is, is a thing there. Most of them would identify themselves as Buddhist. Mm-hmm. Um, and we could see a Buddhist, this was a massive Buddhist statue that we saw Huge. while we were going down. There was several several stories tall. You can see it's towering over the buildings. And a lot of them have like a little shelf of little like Buddhas, which I was talking with another one of my friends, and those are actually just replicas of their ancestors. So they keep, um, when, when someone dies, they take their body into the Buddhist temple, they get cremated, and they get a little statue made of them. And then every morning, at least in religious families, they will say a little Buddhist chant to all their little, their little ancestors. And some of them will lay out rice or something for their ancestors. Um, depending, those are only the really religious Japanese. But uh, most of them identify as being Buddhist. And then they, they view their ancestors in kind right. of a and worshipful so sense. These are what we would call idols, right? Mm-hmm. And then, but they're, they're physical idols that they mm-hmm. bow down and worship and pray to. Mm-hmm. And they really, it's, it's a polytheistic culture. So that every, there's a lot of gods. 
So when, when mm -hmm. someone learns about the God of the Bible, they have to completely throw away this idea of multiple gods, that there's only one God. And that's another stumbling block for the mm -hmm. Japanese as well. And they also believe in just spirits. Trees mm -hmm. are gods. Um, there's spirits everywhere in rocks yep. and shoes. And a lot of them yeah. think they can see spirits. Mm -hmm. So they'll actually, you will be talking in Japanese, and they'll be like, I don't go there. Because last time I went there, I sensed like a spirit, right. which is funny because they're very natural or materialistic, naturalistic mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. And yet sometimes they'll have these ideas of, oh, yeah, there's this ghost or the spirit in these different areas. Right. And so you're like, fascinating. like they, they think you're crazy for believing in God. And then they're talking about seeing these spirits all over the place or sensing them. And you're like, how does this how does this work? Um. We mentioned, this, uh, we mentioned this a little bit. The people, they're very quiet and polite. So even if you've interacted with Japanese here in the States, you know that they, they'll smile and they'll nod your hand and they'll say, yes, yes, yes. Um, because, again, they, they want to be orderly. They want to avoid disagreements. They don't want to disrupt the flow of the community. And they, yet they, they, they desire meaningful relationships. Um, it's, it's fascinating how when the Japanese come here and they s start to interact with Americans who care about them, they just cling on to mm -hmm. someone like Fred. Um, and he can hold a lot of people because he's strong. But, um, <laughs> so, so they desire meaningful relationship. And it's, so it's, it's, uh, I think it's a field mm -hmm. where um, the harvest is plentiful um, in terms of people. Yet there's also challenges and struggles that people face on a day-to-day -day basis mm -hmm. from little kids to adults. Um, it's extremely competitive culture um, in that people are always just competing for the first place, the best job, the most secure uh, position. And so you, you see a lot of that. And so because of that, there's great number of people who are depressed and suicidal in the culture, in the country. Japan is um, notorious for being one of the top countries of highest suicide rates in the, um, in the world. And so people are overworked, and that really hinders the church from growing because men and women, when they spend time in their week, it's just spent at work, at school, and at other places and other commitments outside of the church. Yes, Phil? Would somebody committing suicide bring honor or shame to the family? It depends. Um, oftentimes it's an honor thing because if they do something that's shameful or, um, and somehow they bring shame to their family, then committing suicide is a way of restoring honor, mm -hmm. of saying my family is so good that because of what I did, I'm not worthy to be a part of that family. Right. So by killing myself, I'm getting rid of the shameful part of my family. So like ex the college entrance exams are huge in Japan, huge. And so yeah, after those, every year, there's a massive spike in suicide rates because um, prospective college students who fail to make the university that they wanted, um, it's fairly... I mean, not common, but like thousands of high school students will kill themselves because they failed to make it. Right, which is very tragic. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. um, another interesting thing is, again, going back to honor and shame, not shaming others. And the reason I put this picture up of the dollar bill, every store you go, there's a little tray. And you're not supposed to give your money to the person, but put it on the tray. And the reason for that is so that they don't drop the money. Because if they were to drop the money, that would bring shame about that to that person. Danny and I were having an interesting conversation. He taught English at Italy, 
and in Japan, and he had an exercise where he threw a ball. He asked the students to throw a ball at each other, and it was like a name game. The Italians would just chug the ball and then laugh at the person if they drop it. And the Japanese are like, here we go, one. <laughs> because it would bring about so much shame and dishonor to the person if they were to drop it, and if I were the one who caused them to drop it. Mm -hmm. And so, just again, in every facet of the culture, there's this idea of not shaming other people, not bringing about dishonor to the community. Um, and so academic success is a, is a huge part of people's lives. They said, someone said, um, you see a lot of little kids in youth programs at the church, but once they hit age 13, you don't see them because they're now studying for the high school entrance exam and college entrance exam. So practically there's no middle school, high school, and college students in the church at Japan. So Japan is also, as many of you know, very unreached. Um, the um, Joshua Project estimates it at you know, about 0.6% evangelical, um, which is pretty low. Um, but even then, um, we, were we met with a Japanese believer who actually graduated from TMS Seminary. And we asked him to describe you know, the spiritual state of Japan. And he said, I just have one word. He said, it's dead. He said, when you go around Japan, um, he, he said he thinks that number is actually significantly lower because a lot of people who identify as evangelical never attend church, never are in fellowship, never talk about their faith, their faith with anyone. And so he, he says he thinks it's closer to half of that. And as you also notice um, to the right of it, the church in Japan is actually shrinking right now. So even though it's um, one of the, the lowest um, one of the least reached countries in the world, it's still, the church is actually going down for a number of reasons, and, and part of it was because there was a, a mission movement right after World War II and an openness to the gospel, and then since then, both Japanese evangelism and mission evangelism have kind of faded down. And so in recent years, um, the church has actually been shrinking. And just this morning, I was um, looking online at something, and it was interesting to me to note that if you go across the ocean to North Korea, which is one of the most rep repressive regimes in the world, if you're known as a Christian, you're going to be obviously thrown instantly into a work camp. North Korea has an evangelical population almost three times the size of Japan. And just thinking about, like, thinking about that contrast of very similar people, very similar cultures in a lot of ways, and yet um, Japan being, having so, such a smaller Christian population with zero persecution of any kind. Like you can go in as a missionary, get a visa, like it's totally open to the gospel and has been ever since World War II. Mm -hmm. And then you, and to think that a country right across the ocean where you can't even get in as an American period, regardless of whether you're a missionary or not, or pretty much any foreign country, mm -hmm. and yet their evangelical population is significantly larger, mm -hmm. which is kind of heartbreaking. What should blow your mind about this is that Japan is wide open. Because the population of the country is decreasing, the country just opened its doors to everyone and anyone. Um, Fred and I didn't really have to apply for visa. We just walked in with our passports and they said, how long are you staying? Two weeks. Who are you staying with? Someone we know. And I, that's what I said. Um, and they told me to fill out an, an address and I didn't know the address, so I just filled out American address. And they looked at it and they're like, okay. And they stamped it and they let me through. And so it is a wide open country. People can apply for missionary visa and they don't care. Um, yet not many people are being sent to this country because it's not 
I mean, to be frank, it's not attractive. I mean, when you, when you present to your church about where you're going for your mission's work, you want us to be able to say, oh, I'm going to Iran or Afghanistan or um, some country in Africa. But Japan? Ah, oh, that's not that attractive. So um, it is sad to see that number, that the church and the, and the Christians, um, Christian growth rate is in the negative. Like I said, the, the, there's a great need in this country. There is, people are depressed, people are looking for hope, but they're searching it in anywhere else and anything else that, but, but the gospel. And so there's a huge, huge need. As we talked about, there's multiple and thousands, someone even said millions of gods in Japan. Um, false religions and people don't really know the one true God. Um, and therefore, I think, we want more people to go. We want more people to be ministering, people in Japan to be equipped and trained to do the work of ministry. Um, and as you can probably tell, I mean, I don't really have to hammer this, you see the spiritual need of the country. And that's what we felt as we were walking around, interacting, hearing stories. This country is just dead. Here are some of the people, I couldn't put all the pictures of the people we met. Um, here are some of the missionaries that we met. On the top left, here is Bob and Teresa. They work with Christar um, in a small country town called Yanai. They're doing church planning, leading Bible studies with the youths. Um, this is John Mahar and Mitzi. They're married. John is a missionary, and Mitzi's also a missionary, but she's Japanese. So people really love them because, and, and especially John, too, because he's like, oh, you, you're part of us. You married a Japanese woman. And, um, this is kind of uh, 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 outreach efforts that they have going on with the little kids. This is a team of World Venture missionaries. We had World Venture visit us, Doug and Tim, and it's a young group of just recent college graduates learning, in, uh, learning Japanese and looking to do church planning. And they meet every week to eat together, pray together, and share highlights together. And so it's an exciting team, and I, I, I want to hear back from them in five years and see how they're doing. And um, there's a lot of good work going on in Japan, and they just want more people. Everyone we met, they just said, we want more people to help us. Yes, Rick? Do you know how many mission agencies are represented in Japan, and how many missionaries there are in Great question. I don't. Um, it's, like I said, it's pretty open. Um, um, there's a lot of agencies that we met with. There's OMF, SIM. Send Team, World Venture, Chris Star, ABWE. So they're, they're there, it's just people aren't there. Um, so anything to add? Okay. Um, this was probably one of the most solid churches that we visited while we were there. Um, it's a healthy church with a Japanese pastor who has been trained um, at the Master Seminary it is rooted in the word of God. They preach the word of God, and they're committed to evangelism and making disciples. And, and that's what missions really all is all about, is that you're committed to teach God's word and to evangelize to the lost and, when, and, and making disciples, to, to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them all that Jesus has told the disciples to do. And so when we saw a faithful church, it was really encouraging and, and really motivating to both of us 
um, to really evaluate our lives and how we're making disciples, how we are doing church. And if any of you are thinking about missions, then that is the goal, to have a church, a self-sustaining church, a replicating church. Um, that's the goal. And so it was really neat to see, interact with missionaries who are just in their early stages of language learning, and then to see a model of really mature, healthy church, um, which is the, kind of the final product. A um, little bit about the church. You want to? Yeah. So the church in Japan has facing a lot of challenges. As I told you, it's the population of the church is shrinking overall. <coughs> church is shrinking. And part of this is because the average age in the church is 65. So when you walk into a Japanese church, at least half of the room, in, in a lot of churches, significantly more, some of it all of the church, is you know elderly people, retired people. And so the churches in Japan are... Um, basically dying out. Um, we were talking with some, some of the Japanese believers there, and within 10 years, half of the churches in Japan will close just because their population will have died of old age. So um, the church in Japan is, is at the point where the church is about to almost, you know, drop off significantly. Um, also, they have part of this is a huge issue with pastors. Um, Japan really struggles to um, find young men who are willing to step up and to lead churches. Um, for example, we were talking with Daisuke, uh, another TMS grad in Japan, and he said, you know, churches can't find people to replace all these retiring pastors. For example, there was a church in Japan that had a pastor who was 75, and he was too old, so he was going to retire. The church went out and found a replacement for him, but his replacement was 78. And so you can see that the, this church, so many churches in Japan are without pastors. We went to one church that was that had been going for a year and a half with no pastor. And it was a larger church in Tokyo. Uh-huh. And just as we were talking with people, if a church in Tokyo that had, now large, I think it had like, I don't remember how many members, it had three services, and each of those services I think had like 30 to 40 people. So you know, maybe 100 people in the church, which for Tokyo is a large church. And if a large church in Tokyo cannot find a pastor for you know, over a year and a half at that point, then how is a rural church of 15 people in the countryside of Japan going to find a pastor? And so it was, it was neat meeting with um, Daisuke. He, he was passionate about equipping young men in the church and trying to train Japanese believers. And he was excited um, to be doing that and to be seeing people equipped, but also recognizing the challenge of Japan just facing a massive shortage of pastors. Yeah. And again, with the busy schedule of Japan, there's just a lack of individual commitment to the church. Of too many people view church as you go there, and the pastor is the one who does all the ministry. And we're just show up on Sunday and go home and do our thing. Um, and part of that is just the cultural pressure of having to work late. You know, every, every evening that we were out, we would see at 10, 11 o'clock at night, guys in suits and briefcases who look like they just left work. We went to one outreach event, and at 9.40, yep. a man walked in who had just gotten off work, and, the, and he was one of the leaders of this outreach program. Mm-hmm. The missionary turned to us and said, wow, he got off early today, because he said he usually doesn't come in until after 10 p.m. And so you have this culture where these people are working in, like crazy. Japan is, has a word in their language for working yourself to death, because they, people actually do that in Japan. And so people are just giving themselves to their jobs, even believers, 
And so you have this lack of believers actually being involved in doing evangelism and doing discipleship, which is just crippling the church because the few pastors that are there are having to do all of the work of evangelism and discipleship. So a big thing that a lot of the missionaries and um, believers in Japan want to do is to help equip believers and challenge them to be doing evangelism. Um, and then just a lack of biblical training. Obviously, anywhere you go in the world, it seems like there's a lack of people who are faithful to the word of God and who are faithful to um, doctrine and just loving what God has taught. And in Japan, there's a great need for that as well. You know, just part of the, the challenge of having such a small Christian population is they don't have things like um, as much good Christian music as we have or books or other resources that people have written or translated into Japanese simply because there isn't much of a market there. You know, um, we are getting Bibles for some of our international friends and buying a Korean Bible costs a fraction, I think it was about a fourth of the cost of a Japanese Bible, simply because there's so many more Korean believers than there are Japanese. And so there just isn't a market for Christian resources, which just makes it really challenging for believers to be equipped. And so now to put a bow on what we just presented before you, I want to ask you a question, because there is a great need in this country. I mean, you're convinced of that, hopefully, after hearing us talk about our experience and our time there, that there's a great need. And the solution is not, you know, to fix the Japanese economy or the Japanese birth rate. The solution is that people need to know Christ. People need to know Christ and Him crucified. And so a question I want to pose before you is how about you? How about you? What will you do? You're being equipped here at Montana Bible College, and you get to receive biblical training that pastors would love his congregation to have. And so I want to challenge all of us here to consider, is this something that you see yourself doing? Have you considered going to countries like Japan where not many missionaries are sent, not many solid churches are there, and have you considered that maybe God may be calling you there, and that's why he is placing you here so that you could be equipped and you could be raised up. And I don't think calling for missions is some kind of mystical thing where you hear a voice from God. If you are passionate about the gospel, if you're passionate about who God is and loving God, you are going to be missional because our God is, is a missional God. He loves the nations and he wants to make disciples of all nations. And so I would encourage all of you to consider that and to think about Japan and pray for the believers and unbelievers in Japan. Anything else? Okay. Let me close us in prayer. Gracious Father, thank you that you are God who saves. You are God of grace and mercy and forgiveness, and thank you for lavishing the gift of forgiveness to us through your son, Jesus Christ. He is the only way. There is no other way. So we pray that you would be working in the hearts of the Japanese people, hearts of people of all the world, to know your son. And that, that more people would be sent out to the harvest. Because the harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. So we, we ask you, we beseech you, Lord, that you would send out workers to the harvest field. Lord, I pray also for this college and the students who make up the college, 
that you would be raising up missionaries, faithful missionaries who are committed to the word of God, who are committed to evangelism and disciple making, that they would be sent out from here to do your work, to do the work of ministry, that you may be glorified, that your church will be built up, and that we will hear at the end of our lives, well done, good and faithful servant. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.